You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United Public Radio, 107.7 and 105.3 from New Orleans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fika with Vicky. We're welcoming author and fairy medicine person, more about that later, back to Fika today. If you were here for Daniela's last visit, you'll know how much I love the freshly released, I have the book, A Fairy Path. In fact, I can't imagine reading this book and not loving it. And of course, some of that love will transfer to Daniela. I know that mine did. This time, however, we're going to focus on Where Fairies Meet, a reference guide to parallels between Irish and Romanian fairy traditions. It is part of the Pagan Portal series of books, and these books often, always, not only provide you with the insightful ideas and conclusions of the author, such as Daniela, but also gives you all the references that they used so that you can hunt them up, find them yourself, and come to your own conclusions. Imagine that independent thinking. (laughs) Daniela is taking full advantage of her own independent thinking and speaking as she grew up in, as she grew up unable to do so because of the authoritarian regime. So thank you for sharing some of those thoughts with us today, Daniela, and welcome to FICA. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for having me as as a guest. I love being here. As a matter of fact, I have returned right after having done that first episode together and we left so many questions unanswered and subjects untackled. So here we go today again. So before we even get started, Tamara's here to say hello. Hi, Tamara. Hello, Tamara. I think I was so sidetracked by the medicine person (laughs) that I forgot to give your whole name. So Daniela Samina is here (laughs) to us today. You can see it. Um, Robin. Robin Sims also says, good morning. Thank you for doing this show again with Daniela. It is a pleasure. We we um we may have even snuck in a conversation between shows. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we're getting along really well. So yes. <laughs> so that is that is the way that it is. Okay, Daniela. Before we get started, perhaps just a quickie reminder to everyone about who you are, what the fairy path is about, and where fairies meet. Mm-hmm. So my name is Daniela Simina. I am originally from Romania. I grew up in Romania and only came to the United States much later in life. Um, I grew up with my grandmother being a fairy seer and a medicine woman. And as when I was little, there was nothing more than I wanted to do other than what she was doing, namely all this witchy um, folk medicine type of person and wise woman acting in the capacity as of, of counselor, if you will, for the little community. Um, I also grew up during a dictatorship, very oppressive regime. And when I was 
little, it wasn't as strict, but, or maybe I didn't notice the strictness because when you're a child, you're only so much aware of the world of the adults. But then growing up, um, I either felt or really the, the strictness was getting um, stronger, more, you know, kind of tightening up. And many of the traditions, I mean, this is something that I witnessed, the, the active suppression of folk beliefs. And sometimes it was done in a more forceful manner, like when you have a dictatorial type of regime who would dictate people what to believe and what are they allowed to believe or practice religiously or spiritually. And that's, that's not a nice place to be, believe me. So um, it wasn't as bad as in the neighboring, neighboring country, the Soviet Union. We had a common border with what was back then the Soviet Union. Trust me, that's not fun either. So um, bottom line, my grandmother, my parents, being aware of, of all the potential problems, um, they were trying to keep things away from me. Because as a child, it would have been easy, you know, to go around and, you know, talk too much and say too much, not understanding that I could basically get us all in trouble. So that comes across quite a bit in A Fairy Path, which is autobiographic and describes in detail what does it mean to, you know, straddle this line in between being true and honest and um, authentic and also being safe. So... That's the fine line. And also the desire to treasure, to practice old customs, um, the lore, the fairy tales, the stories, but also behaving in a way that lines up with the, the society, with the facade. So that about me, that's kind of in a nutshell about me. Then I came here to the United States and um, um, yeah, completely different world where you can... Um, practice you can believe you can speak fairly open about um your spiritual life which is which is amazing which no and that's so <laughs> a fairy path is is basically about your life and mm -hmm. then um where fairies meet is you growing into this freedom of investigating yes. and understanding and learning and mm -hmm. it's so wonderful so when we talk about your repression, your inability to share how you felt about the fairies and that because of the government mm -hmm. um, and earlier because of Christianity, mm -hmm. that, that sort of started that um, yeah. on a roll. Um, how do you think it's not even close to being as drastic, but in our society, in our world, we tend to poo-poo the idea of fairies, they're childlike, they're silly, um, and, you know, and this whole other world, whether you believe it's imagination or not, how do you think that affects children in our, in our countries? Um, well, we can have probably a whole episode on, on just that. <laughs> you want to schedule <laughs> We need to schedule ourselves. So yeah, the, the, the negative impact in suppressing imagination. So I would like to start by not really quoting, because I don't remember the exact quote, but by paraphrasing Albert Einstein, who said that imagination is extremely important. There are a lot of his work, visionary work, 
uh, and discovering his famous equation about that involves, you know, the speed of light and then the state of matter. All that is actually related to his ability to imagine things. So to see with mind's eyes in different ways, not in ways that exclude logic, but in ways that support and complement the ability of thinking logically with mathematical precision. So I think that the problem is where we lose balance. And it makes me think of the romanticism as a current that arose in response to the aggressiveness of the Industrial Revolution that despiritualized society to to like a really, really bad, um, really to a large extent. And don't get me wrong. I love technology. I love that the two of us right Can now talk. and our, <laughs> our um, spectators, our viewers, they can see us and we can be on all around the planet and actually meet in a place in cyberspace. And this wouldn't be possible without technology, so high technology. However, look at what we're talking about. We're talking about imagination and we're talking about lore and folklore and things that are a very valuable, um, I don't want to say addition because they're not addition, a very valuable part of the human psyche and the human, what makes a human a human? We're different from, from machines. Um, so we have the ability to sense, to feel, to interact in ways that go beyond the rational thinking and the logic. So blocking children's ability to imagine and to give free reign to their fantasy, it's like you're trying to cut out a part of a human soul at a very young age. And then promoting people growing with that lack, with that um, thing inhibited. I'm not saying like extirpated or simply <clears throat> removed, but really inhibited. And then no wonder that we fail to see and acknowledge and respect beauty in the natural world. No wonder that we are, as a race, a human race, we are literally sabotaging our, our living by destroying the planet because technology, um, technological advancement is no longer a beautiful complement and support for spirituality, but is trying to replace it. So that's what I think, that we are um, damaging younger generations and jeopardizing our own future as a species by um, not allowing children, not fostering imagination in kids in healthy ways, because there are, there are ways, you know, that are not so healthy. You wouldn't want children to grow completely ungrounded and completely in a world of fantasy without a solid balance of you know science and understanding how life came to be on earth and how um things are interconnected right, right. we in have a scientific way about that yeah <laughs> so it, it can go either way but it's it's important well i think in the way that you learned through your grandmother was very grounded because mm -hmm. it involved throwing the wash water out like look out is coming in case there were any fairies around yes. <clears throat> it involved the daily i think this is what we lose we've adopted from um 
the spiritualities, the religions that we know that it's very perfect, but it's not that real person in the house, you know, sweeping and being careful not to sweep away anything that you shouldn't like everything that's real and to us has has a meaning in that world. So I think that that keeps it grounded, the folklore mm -hmm. and and the whatever. I think it's <laughs> <laughs> something that I, I, I really like about um and yes, I mean you just nail it. Uh, when spirituality becomes part of everyday life, you don't have to go to specific temples or sacred places I don't know where and travel thousands of miles. That sacredness, those beings, because we're talking specifically about fairies, those spirits of places, um they are wherever you are. They inhabit a world that it's close to ours. I would say not only parallel, but intertwining, adjacent. So um, it's only a matter of respect, um, kind of telling that, giving a warning that, hey, I'm about to throw water. Even if I don't see you, I may not see you because you don't want to be seen. It doesn't mean that I choose to ignore you completely. And I'm wondering um, on a different, in a different paradigm, how many things that we do not see physically, but they're still there. Like, you know, microbes, you don't see them unless you have a microscope or, or teeny tiny organisms in the backyard that are under, under leaves. The fact that something is not immediately visible, it doesn't mean that doesn't exist. And um, if I may add a little bit to this, um, fairies are so many, and this this takes that into you know people being dismissive and and poo pooing. Oh, that's that's children's stuff. For a while, um, before in like the nineteenth century, when people realized that there are germs carriers of 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 disease, people didn't know where disease come from. So when this Austrian guy, some of us scientists, doctor, came in with the idea that there are teeny tiny organisms, you know, that are crawling around <laughs> and you get them on your hands and that's what carries disease, they wanted to put him in a straitjacket because they thought he lost it. However, shortly after we have microscopes and then we have <laughs> electronic microscopes and here is some of us, it's like, hey, I told you, there really are teeny tiny things you know that are carrying disease and and get us all sick like epidemic proportions so we don't know what we will be able to measure in the future we ended up developing the ability to see with infra in infrared spectrum we don't know what else we will be able to see in the future and here we go having like a zoom type of encounter with the beings from another world from another dimension aka fairies so we don't we don't know where technology will be 100 years from now or maybe sooner so so there are people okay what was that so don't don't put don't be dismissive um, and don't be dismissive yeah. because we don't know you mentioned another thing about oh <laughs> can someone Dave would like to know can someone explain why fairies keep hiding his socks and why um, that's actually my problem 
<laughs> since I do. But okay, let's go there. There's quite often in our lives, something will disappear. And then we'll look and look and we can't find it. Now that happened once in the old days when I had an iPod for my music, um, the little music. And I, I can't function without music in my ear when I'm doing housework, right? And I couldn't find it and I couldn't find it. And then one day, three weeks later, it was on the side table, right? It just appeared. And I felt like, okay, maybe I was supposed to be paying attention to something besides music and, you know, yeah. but, but you tell us in your expertness, why do fairies play tricks on us and hide things like that? Um, yeah, I wouldn't call myself an expert. I'm still, on, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still learning. So, okay, okay. after a lifetime um, of this, I am still learning. So I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in training. Excellent. Still young. Okay. Okay. Maybe not so okay. young, very serious so in training. But yeah, what I is can, your I opinion? Can... <laughs> well, yeah, I do. I do have opinions. We can talk about that. So, um, so um, this is why it is important for us to read the lore because um, different things can have different meanings, different connotations, you know, in, in different traditions. So, things known uh, to be done by fairies in Irish lore that might be slightly different from the way they do it in the Romanian fairy lore. However, there are a lot of contingency points, think like a big common denominator, and hiding things seem to be one. Now, the reason why they're hiding things um, are multiple, and I figure out this is from my own experience because I, I, I'm going through this periodically when things disappear and then reappear in like the most unlikely places. So um, they want to get your attention. Like, hey, we're here and we're seeking ways to interact with you. And for now, it's your socks or your car keys, you know, disappearing and maybe occasionally being returned. Now, if you, do don't, if you don't do something about it and you keep ignoring us, we'll make bigger things disappear or create other, find other ways to really get your attention. Um, so... Um, maybe start by um, finding out who are the beings, the fairies in the area where uh, you live. What is the local fairy lore? What are the local customs? Um, there are, for example, in Ireland, the first thing that they tell you is stay away from the fairies. So don't do don't make offerings for them inside the house. Put the offerings outside the house. Um, we have few such things in Romania, but also we have the make offerings inside the house. We'll get there in a moment. So search what is typical of the beings that you live in, in, in the area where, where you live. There are fairy beings and spirits that dwell in homes, in houses, and they like to be acknowledged. Different bodies of Lord have different customs around house fairies. For example, you have in um Norse Nordic uh, cultures uh live living on specific days porridge with a pat of butter on top for the house fairies. Um there is the custom of living out a saucer of milk for the house fairies or what have you. So um mine like to be acknowledged that way and oftentimes when I'm having my coffee I'm just gonna scoop a little bit and having a small dish that I keep right here on the on the mantle for the house fairies. 
So that's one thing, start building a relationship. And then while reading, informing oneself about the lore of the place that you live, you learn more about their motivations of um, around getting a person's attention. Maybe they want offerings. Maybe I don't know what's... Um, I cannot speak for everyone's spiritual path, but maybe they have assignments for you. Like in my case, they wanted me to write, and here I am writing. So maybe they're inviting you to pick up certain aspects to complement your current spiritual path. I'm just making this up. Maybe there's a divination component. Maybe they somehow nudge on your psychic abilities, you know, to so just cross my mind. So there might be a message there and um, worth exploring, investigating, because this usually opens up very nice pathways in someone's spiritual life. Well, you have spoken on the fact that you have a contract. You feel you have a contract with the fairies. And we'll get more <clears throat> into that. I just want to take Robin's comment here because I didn't know this. Growing up in Newfoundland as a kid years ago, Robin grew up in Newfoundland. He should Yay. he should have lots of opinions. I have heard old stories of fairies disguised as birds who would lure children into the woods, only never to be seen again. Have you heard of such stories like this, Daniela? You hear that I'm nodding here about you know my my head's about to fall you off have you know, from a nodding story about this, Daniela. <laughs> I I have so uh, that happened to me, and it wasn't a bird; it was in human form. And I also read, and I was like really embarrassed to talk about it because it's so um, tongue and cheek. Like this fairy being comes around and tries to lure me into the woods. So I was, I don't know, eight-ish, seven, eight-ish years old. So that's that's in the book. And fortunately, so there's there's a fortunately there because I'm I'm here and I'm talking, but I could have been not. So um, then my grandmother gave me a fairy 101 like protection. So you don't follow beings into the woods. Uh, I had the experience of lights and we can have like a whole episode and discussion on lights. I do not personally believe that fairies per se are lights, but they can, since we're talking here about beings capable of crossing between realms, my understanding, my personal take is that on fairies being able to energetically shift and really condense, condensate, really contract their whole energy to the size of a ball of light. Um, that's my explanation. So you, so I had that happening twice, once uh, in Romania and once right here in my backyard. So like so a wisp? Recent, so like a wisp, but it was like floating like a group of them and it, like uh golf balls i would say okay and it's like floating in the air and like pausing on a tree and then moving on to another tree and moving on to another tree so i had it twice there is lore about um fairies so there is one instance that comes from scottish lore where i heard about a fairy a woman who actually died well not really died was kidnapped taken into fairy and she was able to return to see her ex-fiance in the form of a bird. Um, and interesting, I've heard, I read uh, Barbara Rieti, whose PhD thesis was uh, is based on fairies in Newfoundland. It's called Strange Terrain. And she talks, it's fantastic. And she talks about 
um, children being lured away by fairies, usually looking still like children. So that's the more that I'm 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 common. Um, that's the one that I'm most um, accustomed to hear. Fairies appearing like, like humanoids. I have no doubts that they can appear like like animals luring people away, like birds luring people away. Um, yeah. Totally so we were actually discussing that before the show. The, mm -hmm. the, the, <laughs> we do that. Um, Tamara says, yes, I was told by my grandmother, do not accept food, drink favors or dance with fairies. My grandfather, sorry. He was born in New Brunswick and said they are real. Their culture is not black and white. Their culture is gray. So being good or cruel is all okay. That's exactly what I grew up with. So in, in one nutshell, I mean, in a nutshell, I was told the same. You don't accept, you know, food or drink because once you, you take food or drink from them and if you are on their side, then you are trapped there forever. Irish fairy lore, Scottish fairy lore says the same thing. There is an exception there, um, namely one, when one of the fairy kings or queens when one of the monarchs actually offers you food and drink and it could happen you know in a trance state if you're doing like shamanic type of work and you're journeying or doing trance work <clears throat> and you end up in fairy or go purposefully on fairy and you're interacting with their monarchs and they're offering food and drink then it's very impolite to refuse usually usually there are no strings attached to that but as you said, there's neither black nor white. Everything is in shades of gray, many of them. Um, there is also the um, uh, Norse, the Germanic um, culture, where the belief is that food and drink given by the elves, by the Alfar, um, it's good to receive. So again, it's very important to know who are the beings know your you're dealing fairies. with. Know your fairies. <laughs> yeah. um, and they're not, uh, I want to add here, they're not necessarily, how to say, you can interact with fairies from another culture even if you're not on the geographical territory of that space. Um, like fairy travel with, with people who relocated to the new world. They left Europe, they came here, fairies travel along. So there is there's plenty of evidence about this. So yeah, see with whom exactly are you interacting with because there might be changes and adjustments to take that into account. And that's why there's so many similarities in the stories in Absolutely. Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, etc., mm -hmm. as in Ireland and Scotland, mm -hmm. and because of the huge immigration numbers mm -hmm. that came from there. And mm -hmm. also like in Nova Scotia, um, we were at a park whose name I can never pronounce. <laughs> Pronunciation problem, people. But there was the sign for the little people of the Micmacs. And we went to hear a storytelling about them as well. So even though there are similarities, there are also differences between these different, mm -hmm. these different. And, and, and so that was actually one of the questions. <clears throat> one of the endearing things I found in reading where fairies meet was that once a year, the fairies will go to human households and sit by their fire and read their books. And I just like, what is the day? You know, I want to be um, prepared for this. Um, but, but 
I started thinking, what of my books would the fairies like to read? And I started thinking about my fairy books and that. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, I wouldn't say humans want to read human books. So is it time that we stop thinking of fairies as fairies and start thinking them as, you know, that fairy I saw or that fairy I heard about? Maybe it's not their names, but just you know, think of them as individuals, mm -hmm. like we like mm -hmm. to be think of, thought of. Yeah. Um, I, I have a few things to, to, to add here. The, um, the part of the fairy reading, um, you know, coming in and, and sitting by the fire. So this is a little bit, so yes, there is the, the, um, I want to say common knowledge, but I'll, I'll hold back on common knowledge. The information about fairy readings by the fire come from the work of um, Lady Grey and Lady uh, Wilde, mother of Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Who were very much concerned, I mean, in, in the goodness of their, their heart, they wanted to preserve authentic Irish fairy lore. But occasionally, you know, that's always um, the bias of the one who tells the story. When I'm telling a story, rest assured, I have my own biases and eventually not <laughs> much as I'm trying to stay accurate. So we all have a little bit of, of you know, we're, we're adding that little bit of, of color. That's the personal filter and it's genuine. It's the perception. So Lady Wilden and Lady, um, Lady Grey have these retellings where they mention, you know, fairies coming and sitting by, by the fire and reading books, which by the way, I, I think of it as entirely possible. Um, just think of the fact that um, somebody who would have no appreciation for books wouldn't have me literally kick me in the shins to start writing books. So they do have an appreciation for, for such things. Um, still back to the fairy readings by the reading by the fire, Lady Grey and Lady Wild, they were trying to uh, resurrect or preserve tales coming from the lore, from the, from the folklore. Um, now, people in the countryside, I don't really think that was their vision of, of leisure. I mean, consider the 17th, the 18th century, early 17th and 18th century, when people would gather by the fire dead tired, especially, and few of them could read even the Bible. And books weren't something to find really lavishly spread in the household of, of um, you know, people living in the countryside. The average person. So they were, they were giving their... Uh, a little bit of a color, you know, of, of the class, of the society that um, fairies would go and, you know, to sit and read. When they go to the, the, the um, house and by the fireplace in, you know, the farmer's house, they usually expect to find the food. And you'll find across the breadth of the lore, Irish lore, um, probably Newfoundland too, Romanian lore, the appreciation they have for offerings of food being left for them, you know, by the by the fire, by the heart. Uh, chairs put for them, you know, to come and warm themselves up. As far as what fairies would like to read, I think they're very interested in, in knowing how humans think and what humans really believe, because what humans think and believe affects them.
what we do to the places you know around us really affect one way or another the ferry population that's native to the or related to the to the place so um i wouldn't be surprised you know to find them reading poetry i wouldn't be surprised to find them um reading novels and you know um, science romance tech. science tech um like everything like what's happening next um mm, i don't know so maybe they want <laughs> to read about fairies from like just to get a gist of how humans think and see and either be horrified or <laughs> laugh Oh my gosh, this is what they think about us. How can they put such thing on paper in print? <laughs> so, Silly humans. Way, yeah. Silly so. humans. Yeah. No, no. It's it's a it's a thought. But we have to at some point stop thinking of them as fairies and start Absolutely. thinking of them as individual. Yes. Because they're mm -hmm. all going to be I mean, they may have the same customs as we do but they're going to think differently and somewhere there's a fairy that's thinking you know what i'm tired of being mean to these people <laughs> we've got to start thinking in good and bad <laughs> yeah brian would like to know if the different fairy clans have different customs are there customs that are common between all those clans this is is there a basic safe way for people to interact with fairy clans um that's a good one because when we talk about fairy clans first of all let's think ireland and ireland is different from romania is slightly different from scotland it's vastly different from iceland and when i'm thinking of each geographic uh, geographical area and i only mention geographical areas where i am at least somewhat familiar with their fairy uh, beliefs so each of them have fairy beliefs that again have a big like common denominator and being polite is is a rule that applies across the breadth of the of these um you know cultures that i i mentioned so saying hello and introducing yourself as basic as this um expressing gratitude now when we come to expressing gratitude already things start to diverge there is no problem in saying thank you for example if you're interacting with with the elves with the alpha that's my primary um fairy population that i interact with the alpha so in saying thank you in irish lore there is the custom there is the belief that you do not say openly overtly thank you to the fairies because that would somehow put you in depth I didn't invent it. That's if, if you go and read it, you're going to find oh, yeah. <laughs> Eddie Lenehan. You're going to find Annie Lenehan, um, great storyteller, Shanghai of the uh, the Ireland. That's yes, what yes. You make sure that you don't use this exact phrase, this exact wording, thank you, because that puts you in a sense in, a, in depth to them, and you do not want to be in depth to the fairies because they will come and redeem that depth whenever it's convenient to them, not to you. And in whatever form is suited for them, not to you as a human. So in expressing gratitude, careful about the way you phrase it. Just, oh, I'm so grateful. Probably it's fine, regardless what, regardless the language that, that you're using. Um, living offerings, I found this to be literally universal. The only difference would be 
what specifically the fairies that you are trying to establish a relation a relation with or you want to be in the good graces of what do you offer some things are universal are more universal like offering fresh water offering fresh fruit offering something that is a baked good um milk and dairy <clears throat> all european cultures are very fond fairies from all european cultures are very fond um and there's a lot of lore that explains the why let's save it for another episode because it's long so <laughs> danielle is coming back <laughs> so you know i'm coming back so we can we can talk about offerings and how and why like on different in different regions even within the same country in the same culture there's a lot to know so uh you can't go wrong with anything that's fresh produced and water there are being culturally sensitive um i know that there are nations indigenous nations that do not appreciate offerings of alcohol both themselves and the fairies fairy beings that are associated with the culture I know others who don't really care about, you can offer alcohol. Um, I was told by native people to live for the spirits of this land, living in, in the United States. So for the spirits of this land to offer cornmeal and tobacco and fresh water. And when I'm offering to the spirits that are native of the area, I go outside and live some um cornmeal and tobacco and that's and fresh water and that is for them and separately i'm pouring the um the offerings for my uh for my elves so in a like to, to summarize saying hello and thank you and introducing yourself and not acting entitled we are so badly primed conditioned since child since childhood that fairies somehow own something to us humans and you just go there and the good make a wish would come make <laughs> a wish and they're gonna dump on you everything you wish for and that's not the case if you look into the, the i'm not saying it's never the case but if you look into the fairy lore you'll see that this is rarely the case so not acting entitled being nice being polite offering things that um you believe they will appreciate and offer before requiring and when requiring careful what you require so it doesn't become an unpaid debt because you don't want that for yourself now uh, for technique i have seen pour it in a glass i have seen people pour it onto the ground either or either or again okay um i i i saw offerings being made through the fire like because offerings aren't always um food and and drink for example i saw people creating crafting something or writing a poem specifically for a fairy queen or fairy king and then ritually light up a, like a small fire and burn it and and let it you know that that fire basically carry it into into the other world the essence of what you have created being transferred um i know of offerings being poured inside fairy mounds wherever the hollow hole was in the mound people would pour either food or other offerings inside the mound um i'm either pouring in uh, norse tradition there are the elf cups so these are stones with indentations 
Mm -hmm. And food and drink is oftentimes left in these hollows. And it's going to stay there for as long as it's going to stay there until either some bird or some animal is going to eat it uh, after the good people, the, um, the take fairies, the take it. the essence. Yeah. So when you leave offerings outside, please be careful what you put out there. Well, so it's not going to poison the, the wildlife. Well, it's not only that. If you live in an urban area, you don't want to be leaving a lot of foodstuffs outside because there are rodents that some people love, but can cause a lot of trouble and you don't want to attract them. Right. So yeah. we have to yeah. be cautious of, um, rats and things like that um yeah unless unless i'm willing to offer shelter to a large family of rats i'm not <laughs> going to put the food really close to my house it's like yeah, it's out there enjoy but no <laughs> right so there's there's carefulness in this but there's also talk that you can offer a song if you're a musician mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you can mm -hmm. offer an episode of your talk show <laughs> <laughs> you're on offering. <laughs> offer something from yourself your heart mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. i think is genuine really is the bottom line you can't and that's great wrong. it's greatly appreciated because we're talking here a lot about energy and you know while they fairies can take different degrees of corporeality they can appear as embodied as as a human being and again if you look in the lore there are countless accounts of them appear in a way that they cannot really be distinguished from humans um typical humans um but they can also appear as i said like lights or they can shape shift of birds um as birds so the energy part is is so obvious so it's this energy that can take different take on different forms and when we offer that part of our creation, we feed them energy. So it's it's an offering of energy that's equally, for them, is very tangible. I guess this is what I'm trying to say. As it's a sort of food, yeah, that no. they will will take and thrive on. Well, as as we do, like anything mm -hmm. that's there's food for the soul, and there's yes. food there's mm -hmm. food for our bodies, and yep. cake works for all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Um, James says that he has heard mentioned that um, fairies come in threes quite often. Have you heard anything like that? Mm, I'm not sure. Um, I okay, take that back. <laughs> I've seen it oftentimes in children's lore, and we have in Romania, we have um, so starting from the folk tales and legends and actual the fairy lore and when i'm saying lore it's those customs and stories that developed around the real encounters that people and experiences that people had with fairies now when um writers went around folklorists went around um collecting these when they were put into books part of these turned into literary creation specifically designed for children, for very young audiences. Let's put a pin on that. The number three, the number um, seven, the number nine are Our all numbers one. that occur systematically in different bodies of, of, of fairy lore. And three and seven happen a lot in Romanian fairy lore. Um, and that's always, you know, they have to go through three trials and the hero has to undo like three something, cross three bridges. And there are three daughters of an emperor and three sons of a king. So the three fairies um, 
I believe that's somehow part of um, this, the combination of the sacredness or, or the magical properties of a number three and um, the fairy tales that ended up combined in fairy Well, they were kept safe in, children. in children's literature. They were... Yeah, they were they were made very safe in children's literature. So rarely, when you have like a bad, so-called bad fairy, and but then there's there are the good fairies who come and. Uh, I don't think there's any bad fairies. They're just misunderstood. <laughs> just, but that isn't good date, dating philosophy. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay, Brian says, you're making them sound like researchers from the Star Trek universe, except that fairies don't seem to have a prime directive that forbids interaction. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> perhaps they don't, fairies don't like rules for themselves. I, I, I mean, I, I, they I do think have. that they, they do have, they do yeah, have they rules. Do. And, um, for example, they have, uh, I think that our understanding, okay, we have different standards for good and bad. Just think as humans versus other populations. For example, what's good for me as a hunter when I go hunting may not be good for the deer if what I go hunting for is deer. So sometimes interests appears conflicting and they are conflicting. Uh, sometimes there is um, competition, but oftentimes there is a lot of collaboration. And we see fairies bestowing gifts upon people who demonstrate courage, who show themselves, like behave with dignity, with co considerate, but also with dignity. Um, who knows who, who are smart um, so basically, they uh, they will praise value where there is value to be praised. Um, they tend to be a little bit more um, in extremes in terms of reward and punishment. Sometimes their punishment may seem extreme for by our standards, but this goes again to our understanding of good, bad, and values. As I mentioned earlier in the example, if I go hunting... For me, it's going to be a fabulous day if I'm coming back with a deer. For the deer, that's not going to be a great day. So, but then there's sometimes misunderstanding. It would be a great deer for the deer if they need culling and there's too many of them. And so we don't always understand yes. what the fairies are doing for us. That's that exactly. So that's the matter of balance. And that's only brings to my mind, uh, you know, the Yellowstone wolves when they're being reintroduced because before that, there's just deer, that rodent, you know, this population, mm. that grazing population and rodents. And um, there was basically the vegetation was disappearing. That's it. Everybody says the poor deer, but they destroy the everything. Poor deer. And uh, the poor deer literally were destroying the habitat. And then they, they, they brought back the wolves. And now there's this beauty of vegetation and flowers and colors in, in spring. And that's a balance. None of them get too many none of them the numbers of uh, the population numbers are keep each other uh in check so i believe there's something there's a lesson in it for for us well, well and they've been alive a long time and they've dealt with a lot of people and patience has got to be wearing thin at this point like i feel for them <laughs> <All right. laughs> 
Um, Robin would like to know what are your thoughts, Daniela, of the collection of thousands of mummified fairies and old world oddities found in the basement of Thomas Maryland London London's Thomas Maryland's London home in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh much as I hate to burst bubbles, um so to this date, to the best of my knowledge. And I was talking, I was discussing it with archaeologists and with people involved in the field of cultural anthropology. So to this date, there hasn't been any, any authentic, mummified or otherwise buried body of any fairy or fairy being. Think leprechaun. I'm, I'm not being ironic. Leprechaun as, as a fairy being or other kinds of fairy beings. Neither big nor small. There have have no, um, we don't have anything like this literally found. What we have instead is a plethora of fake and put there to um, create sensation. And sometimes done with, um, gosh, that's what's even saying, um, to convince people to believe into the reality of fairy, which those creating this um, artifacts, because they're artifacts, those create, having creating these, these artifacts, they do not realize that us who actually believe in fairy have to suffer even more from the ridicule and being then pointed fingers at, you see, that stuff that you claim it's true, it's actually a, sca a scam, and, and these scams always end up being um, revealed. Something that I want to say, however, there has been um, a shoe. Somebody found a tiny shoe. In a, I mean, not that tiny, so like a shoe, small size shoe, um, in a field, and so it's it's in Ireland, and it showed <clears throat> signs of tear and wear, as if it were you know worn by by someone who left it or discarded it, and there's been a lot of research done over it and nobody seemed to because the people who are interpreting and analyzing it none of them is a, a true genuine you know fairy believer so they don't really want to put that hypothesis so they're just forward. saying nothing but they they're saying like we don't know this is too big to be made for a victorian era doll that were like very nice you know they had all those Garments, every everything was like a miniature replica of um you know grown up like real person clothing. It cannot be because it's it's worn. This looks like somebody walked on it, you know, and the doll wouldn't walk. Um, so there's it's too small. Nobody with the weight was sewn. What kind of? So it there's <clears throat> a lot of you know, and the materials that it was made. What was that called again, Daniela? For for. So it was a shoe. So I don't remember right now off the top if, of my head. If it doesn't say like the London shoe or something. No, it, 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 just... it, it, it doesn't. So if you look up fairy shoe. Okay. Fairy All shoe, right. yes. I'm going to go through a couple more comments and I don't even know why I sent a show sheet to you this week. Okay. We're, um, we're kind of on it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Okay. Now we're in the fruit belt. So this would be, this, this could be, um, Tamara says you can plant fruit trees for them, but you cannot collect the fruit after it belongs to the fairies. Okay. That I have the answer for that. <laughs> <laughs> so 
it depends so if you have fruit trees and they're in a place that's known to belong to fairies like you know um the saying you don't go it's not a saying actually you don't go to mow the grass onto fairy hills you just let them be you don't go to collect or pick up branches you know from trees that grow onto fairy hills or into fairy spaces you don't do that no matter how ripe how nice the fruit is there if you dedicate a space to fairy tree to fairies and you plant their fruit trees then you're not going to go and pick up fruit from from those trees um the the timeline so this comes also from irish and i believe scottish law as well where they say when you go um berry picking in the woods and after october 31st you no longer or after the first frost you don't go to to pick fruits anymore because the puka spit on it or peed on it whichever you prefer um so either way don't touch them so and there's probably a way you know to to say okay leave something for the wildlife as well because it's winter time <laughs> but bottom line um that's also a time when fairies claim them and it's like okay you've guys had enough now we also have our our share it's 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 another grounding thing with mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and as i said just living regular life you can live the spirituality with no problem mm -hmm. okay i'm going to take the last two that are here and then i'm going to close it up because brian brian with with just one of his remarks is it sounds as if fairies like writers are like writers since writers are always coming up with ideas and creations and um I think that fairies find writers useful <laughs> when they have ideas, when they have things to communicate, you know, to broader populations and they're like, well, you know something, we need someone, you know, to actually put this on paper and uh, I I can piggyback right in here, you know, the contract idea because we we touched on it and it was also on right, the right. list. I so wrote when it down I was, yep, when I was little, I had this moment of exuberance when I found myself yelling something in a like ritual improvised. I was improvising a lot of ceremonies and, and rituals. And I found myself yelling out loud, and I want to be your friend forever, and I'm going to do whatever it takes, and I'm going to fulfill all your expectations and, and other things like this before. And please imagine this like in a cartoon, you know, when someone comes and, you know, grabs the other by the mouth so this is how my grandmother who was who heard me and she was like horrified and she didn't know how to make me shut up faster because i was basically waging myself in service you know to to fairies and and she knew that fairies can be benevolent but also have their own agendas that are more self-serving than you know cater to my interests as as, as a human being so I had no idea at this moment that I actually did put myself under under a contract. And they kept tab on me for 40 years, for zero, for 40 years, um, until, I'll make the short story very short, until it became clear that I have to write these books and there's stuff that they want people to know. And I was the voice I was like the, um, you know, that. that, yeah, I was their microphone, you know, to, 
But have you considered that's why it was so difficult for you to keep quiet about it um, more so than maybe other children because you knew in your heart you were supposed to be sharing this? Oh, no. I'm giving you a break here other than Daniela nope. just talked all the time and did whatever nope. she wanted. <laughs> nope. There's the, I, I could see things and I could, I, could, I could see visually perceive things. And I thought that everyone has the same capabilities. It didn't occur to me that not everybody sees colors and not everybody has these fairy occurrences. And I didn't even know that what I was seeing were fairies until somebody, grandmother, endeavored to explain to me what I was seeing and to keep quiet about it, which, of course, I didn't. Because I could not believe that other children and other adults don't see what I see. And my question was, why don't they want to talk about it? So no, it would be like anything that you saw. Like, you know, let's let's explain this. Let's put it in its... You know, when you're a kid, everything has to be filed in its mm -hmm. little, because that's yep. how knowledge builds, right? Yep. Okay, I'll file it here and I'll file it there. Mm -hmm. And you were not able to file it. Nope. And that's actually what left me with, with a lifelong thirst and curiosity and desire to know, but how are the fairies there and how are how are there and how are in this culture or in this culture? So that, that really uh, marked me for, for life and I ended up writing about them. Um, and this, I think, is a very important part of for people to understand that a child's question left unanswered is going to have results later on. Okay. <laughs> you can just the questions. Answer those questions. I don't care how answer. you answer them. Just answer them. <laughs> answer, answer, answer your children's questions. And bear in mind that the answer you give... It's going to put them on 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 a possible trajectory in the future. So, so you don't have to answer coffee. immediately. Just say, "Just a minute. Go have a coffee. Think about it, and come back. <laughs> think about all the possibilities." Okay, we're going to end with this one, and then because um, I'm sort of curious. Okay, do fairies, trolls, gnomes, leprechauns get along, or do they tend to stay away from each other, or do they wage battles sometimes? All of the above. So you have even the same kind of fairies in the same kind of, you know, cultural context. So there's a lot in the Irish lore um, telling about people witnessing fairies, uh, fairy-like armies, troops, and, and, and battling, fighting over whatever, or sometimes just for sport. Um, they usually, <clears throat> excuse me, get along. There's no reason, you know, for, um, you know, for contention in between specific fairies and trolls it looks like they're less likely to step onto each other toes um i never heard of conflicts between water horses and i don't know the puka which are irish beings so um or between romanian we have their two factions not factions two types as well um Zune, known to be more benevolent and yellow, known to be not so fond of humans. But among them, there's never, I haven't heard of any kind of clashes. So I think it's it's circumstantial. I do heard, I do hear, uh, I mean, I have heard in Romania about um, fairies um, fighting among them, each fairy being more attached to a human community. And uh, when human communities were in somehow um, contentions or litigious situations, the they fairies cried. themselves would, would 
mirror would, would do the same thing. So that's that's so that's again, it. no hard rules there. Uh, no, no, that's that's okay. So I'm gonna close comments up now. Comments are going away. Okay, because we're already an hour in. <laughs> So you have to send me a note when 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 you're able to come back because we still have lots sure but i am going to read we discussed this and daniela does not have her book with her the last paragraph because it's so lovely i wanted it in where fairies meet um here we go whether from ireland or romania Alluring and scary, beautiful and eerie, magical, powerful, incomprehensible by human standards, neither entirely good nor entirely bad, they are fairies who elude logical thought, but this should not place their existence out of the realm of possibilities. And thank you, Daniela, so much. Thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> it was a blast. <laughs> And um, yeah, you'll have to apparently come back so we can ask. So Vicky can ask some questions that she's curious about um, those darn <laughs> listeners <laughs> and keep up okay. and you take care. Oh, okay. So you're on Facebook. So if somebody has a question or whatever, they can ask you there. Yes. Daniela Simina author page. So you get on my author page, there's the messenger, ask questions. That's the best way. And I, I check it pretty, pretty regularly, like daily. So you can. So um, you won't be sitting there forever waiting for for the famous Daniela Selena <laughs> to get back to you. No, um, I'm, I'm quick to answer. And you have. OK, so a fairy path just came out January 1st, right? Mm -hmm. This yes. people, this will have you laugh cry it's it's everything and it's real but it doesn't it doesn't read real um it's it's fantastic plus there's ideas of things to do with fairies as mm -hmm. in where fairies meet uh you have the pagan portals fairy herbs for fairy magic coming out on september 1st of this year yes august september guide. yeah in september i believe yes yeah a, a pr practical guide of a fairy um very That's, verbal magic. I have an author copy right here, if I may. Oh, there that you have. <laughs> so this one I have. It just arrived a few days ago. So it's my <laughs> author copies. I have like four of them. So it's um, a practical guide to fairy herbal magic. And it's the first book ever, to my knowledge, that gathers um like 40 something plant materials and discusses water and um, other things in strict relationship to fairy magic it's not like the generic use of the herbs in lore and folklore and then you know caveat by the way you can use them in fairy magic this is focused on fairy magic um plus... because you grew up living yeah. fairy magic mm -hmm. and collecting those herbs with your grandmother like exactly. this is the difference we talk about they're both important but mm -hmm the personal experience gives you that insight of having tried and we know you tried some things from reading a fairy path uh, so, not always yeah, yeah you need to have a fairy kind of look at people there's a lot of detailing about things that can go wrong and what happens when they do and yeah no it's just it's just matter, it's just matter of fact so
Yeah. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. And um, you're definitely going to have to let me know when you're available again. I know it's a busy time of year for you. So, you know, okay. fit us in somewhere. Okay. Sure. All right. You take care and we'll I talk will, to you, you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. So fun again with Daniela. I'm just going to call out these shows fun with Daniela. And for the rest of you, I will see you next week. Until then, may your coffee be hot and your story sweet. Thanks for listening, everyone. You are listening to Fika with Vicky on United.